Women in ministry. This can be a pretty hot topic in today's world, but why is this such an important conversation to have? Are there really biblical roles for women in the church and in the family? If so, how can our pastors and leaders work to facilitate these roles? Our special guest, Michelle Leslie, will provide answers to these questions and more on today's episode of the Everyday Ministry Podcast, where everyday ministers come together to discuss everyday ministry. Are we forgotten? Are we alone? 10,000 captive in iron and stone. Hey everyone, before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to take the opportunity to present a challenge to the listeners. This is a challenge some of us co-hosts are going to be taking on ourselves, and it's a challenge on journaling. And the reason why we're doing this challenge is because as we approach the episode that will release on the 5th of August, which will be the Spiritual Discipline of Journaling, coming from Donald Whitney's book, Spiritual Discipline of a Christian Life, And as we approach this challenge to practice this discipline, we're going to be looking at it in three different ways. The first part of it is to write out one full page of journaling per day. And then uh, the second thing is writing out a passage of scripture with a reflection on that scripture. And then thirdly, just to write out a prayer. It it could be related to the scripture or just however God is just dealing with you as an individual on that specific day. Now, obviously, we will not be checking anyone's homework or anything of that nature, but it's just a challenge just for us to get into a better practice of journaling as we look at this discipline coming up on the 5th of August. So if you would like to join this challenge along with us, then you're more than welcome to interact with us on the Facebook page, or you could email us at everydayministrypodcast at gmail.com. We hope that you will join this challenge with us as we seek to grow closer to our Lord and Savior through this specific discipline. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy this episode. This is James White, the pastor at Lighthouse Community Church, and I'm sitting here with Christian Norsworthy, uh, the associate pastor at Reformation Church in the Baton Rouge area, Louisiana. And we have a special guest for you all. But we're going to let Chris introduce her in just a little bit. Before then, Chris, how is everything going in Louisiana? It's really hot. And heat index of like 105, 7 o'clock at night. And super humid. But other than that, it's going well until like that huge flood comes through at the end of this week. (laughs) Pray it doesn't. But uh, they're kind of warning us about that now. And actually, Royce, our other co-host just left our house this morning him and his family have been here for like the last five days so we've just been hanging out and uh having fun going to church having discussions we didn't record anything while he was here <laughs> like i thought we might but you know it's kind of hard to do with six kids in the house so <laughs> everything's going good how about you though man doing well i am curious has your neighbor's house recovered since from the last flood Oh, that flash flood a couple of weeks ago? No, not really. I mean, they're living in it still. It was only, they only, I won't say only, they only got like three to four inches in it this time, as opposed to 2016. I think that it was floors and then having a place to sheetrock. Yeah, I guess I'd think about it in terms of Alabama. If my house flooded three inches, it would be, I guess, totally different in a lot of ways. My house wouldn't be built 
for that anyway. It's on a slab foundation, and yeah, it wouldn't hold up to that. But no, everything's going well here. I, I've just been busy working on some papers. Last week, I wrote a paper on premarital counseling and why it's important and kind of the point behind it. That was 20 pages. And then this week, I get to write in view that I'm an Anglican priest that's defending my view of church government as well as government in the 1600s. That's oh, wow. due at the end of this week. What class now, is that for? It's for church history from Reformation to modern day. I am not as prepared as I should be. And when this episode releases, it'll actually be due that night. So um, if I don't get this edited before then, maybe you'll be listening to this on Tuesday. So, But anyway, uh, everything's going good here ministry-wise. Interesting thing. This week at church, we changed our service times where we now have preaching service at 10 and Sunday school at 11. We didn't have Sunday school before, so to kind of put some context there. But we're not having Sunday nights now and just doing everything on Sunday mornings. And I enjoyed it last week. So Cool. I saw that you had made an announcement about that. Yeah, I, I think the reasoning is simply that it would be easier for people to stay for Sunday school if preaching's before. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why that's the thought, but I'm okay with it. We're going to do both of them at some point anyway. So, But anyway, Chris, you want to introduce our guests this evening? Yeah, our guest is Michelle Leslie of michellelesley.com. Uh, she writes a blog that is geared towards discipleship for Christian women. And she's written on the topic that we're talking about today, which is women in ministry. And as well as many other things, if you're like me, you probably see her tweets or Facebook posts reshared pretty often (laughs) other places. But we're actually from around the same area, and I've been with the church with her daughter for a while. Um, So that's how we initially got connected. So yeah, welcome, Michelle. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. And I also have six kids and fortunately three of them are up and out of the house by now. And, uh, but the, the three that are here, you know, keep me pretty busy. So, but it's, it's great to be able to carve out some time and chat with y'all tonight. So why do you say fortunately three of them are not in the house anymore? <laughs> because fortunately for y'all, it would be a lot noisier around <laughs> here if they were all still in the house. We, um, we're, we're a big Southern family and we're loud and we like to talk and laugh and, and I have five boys and one girl, so boys, you know, can be pretty boisterous and and all that kind of thing. So we have a lot of fun, but it's very noisy. <laughs> well, any advice for a, a new father with a five-month-old daughter? Gosh, I don't know that I would have any advice for a father with a five-month-old daughter. Just um, be, I guess, God, be the godly man that God has called you to be and set a good example for her and and do all the things that I know you're doing already. Protect her and raise her up in the in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And um, just, just be faithful to the Lord, I guess, would be the most important piece of advice I can give. Well, awesome. Like I said earlier, it's... Sometimes you get asked things on here that you're not prepared for. So, but um, I think that's all right. Well, if you would begin to tell us kind of a little bit about your story, you know, how you've come to Christ and salvation, and then also describe your ministry a little bit and what you do in the local church as well as your writing. Sure thing. Well, I was I was born into a Southern Baptist church, Southern Baptist family, and I have been as a matter of fact, I was born on a Sunday evening during training union time when we used to call it training union. <laughs> now it's called discipleship training, I think. 
and, you know, just been in, in church all my life. I'm just, I'm so thankful that my parents raised me in church and um, not only raised me in church, but raised me to be faithful to the church and, uh, and be there um, every, every Sunday, you know, every Wednesday and be involved and be plugged in. And I'm, I'm just so grateful to them for, for raising me that way. I was pretty much a good little girl, I guess you could say, and didn't really give my parents too much trouble, I don't think. I hope they would agree with that. A uh, good student, you know, not too badly behaved or anything like that. And when I was about, I prayed to receive Christ. And so I started growing from there a little bit. And because I grew up in the sort of traditional Southern Baptist church, you know, I would hear thing, hear pastors say things from time to time, like, if you don't know the exact date, the exact time that you were saved, then you're probably not saved. Or if there wasn't a huge radical change in your life when you got saved, then you're probably not saved. So all along, you know, all along my teenage years, I never really rebelled. I never really, you know, my my idea of rebelling was wanting to stay later at youth Bible study, you know, and so but I didn't really, I couldn't remember what the date was when I was saved or anything like that. And my life didn't really radically change because I was a pretty well-behaved child as it was. And I just continued that way. And so that, that kind of caused me a lot of angst through my teenage years and even into um, my, my early and mid twenties uh, until I started studying a little more and learning better theology and things of that nature. And I had a really, um, a really blessed moment several years ago. I was clean and I wrote about this on my blog when I was cleaning out some, some old papers and things like that. And I came across this folder of my things that I had written, creative writing and things like that from when I was a child, teenager, you know, even late teens. And I looked through, I started looking through these things and I started noticing they were all about God. They were all about my love for God. They were all about my desire to know him better, you know, poems and songs and stories and things like that. And it started to dawn on me that had I not been saved, that love for God, that desire for God would not have been there. And so the Lord used that in a, in a great way in my life to give me some more assurance that I may have had a childlike faith, but that faith was there. Mm -hmm. And so it, it brought me a great deal of peace. And so that's kind of, I've just been growing ever since, you know, just studying the word and, and being um, under good preaching and things of that nature. And so that's kind of my testimony, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty similar to the way my wife and I grew up, just were in church our whole lives and kind of had that multiple times in our lives thinking, wait, are we really saved? We don't remember it. Or, you know, we, we never were like we didn't we didn't do drugs <laughs> it's it's interesting a, a few years ago i heard a lady giving her testimony and she was talking about how she hadn't been saved until i think her late 30s mm -hmm. and she would talk about how she would sit on the floor and cry sometimes and say god why did you wait so long to save me mm -hmm. because she had been through all of those difficult things right. and it really hit me wow this lady would give anything for a testimony like mine because i didn't have to go through all of that right you know so god knows what he's doing he's yeah. got perfect timing he saves people when it's their appointed people appointed time to be saved and he knows what he's doing so <laughs> yeah i agree yeah that's, that's that's what i tell everybody my testimony is that god saved me from all that before right. i was in it and um 
doesn't make me any better than anybody else. It's just it was up to him, and uh, that's it was a blessing that that I didn't. And it's a blessing when he does save people in their 30s or their 40s or 50s or on their deathbed. You know, what if, however he chooses to go about doing that, it, it's a blessing. Right. And then as far as your local church, I know you said that your husband is a minister and you definitely support him in that and then pour into the discipleship of your fellow church members. Would that be accurate to say? Right. Well, my husband uh, has been a minister of music all of our married life and even okay. a little bit before that. He's, But for the past about four years, we've sort of been between gigs. So we've just been, you know, he hasn't been on staff anywhere. Okay. Um, but he does teach our Sunday school class and he, he does teach some other things and serves in other ways. So, and yeah, in the local church, you know, in my local church, I try to, um, to stay busy and, and do everything that I can to encourage women and one of the one of the things that I've done in the past just for example is that we've had we've planned some um, ladies night out for my Sunday school class for the ladies in my Sunday school class because we were um, at the time that we began doing that we were talking about putting together a women's Bible study class. And, and one of the ladies said, you know, we get good Bible teaching a lot in Sunday school and in church and everything, but we don't just get to sit around and talk and fellowship with each other. And and so that's when I started really learning more that that fellowship is really integral to the lives of women and to the discipleship of women too. Of course, we don't want to all, you know, we don't want to get too far into fellowship where we're neglecting God's word, but we don't want to neglect fellowship either. So there has to be a good balance. So mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the things that I've been able to do, not as often as I would like to, but it's been a real blessing to just sit around and talk about, you know, when godly women get together, godly women talk about godly things. And so we've yeah. been able to to talk about some things like that and encourage each other. And then, um, you know, I've served in the nursery and I've served in vacation Bible (laughs) school and just all over the place. It's really important to be plugged in and serving in your local church. So I try to try to set a good example of that and, and do that myself. Awesome. So doing this episode on women in ministry and, you know, I, I think this is a conversation that's getting a lot of, traction a lot of attention right now but what we want to address next is why is this an important topic why is it important that we have a single episode on just specifically women in ministry it's really important right now to to take a close look at what a biblical view of women in ministry is because there's a lot of conflict as you know going on in evangelical circles about uh, about women in ministry and what it looks like to to serve biblically in ministry as a woman and what it looks like to not be serving biblically as a woman in ministry. So it's, it's extremely important that we define our terms and that we, as women, we are called to ministry, but there are some parameters that we need to stay within. And so um, it's extremely important that we as women understand how we're to serve and where we're to serve and where we're not to serve. We can talk a little bit about complementarianism and egalitarianism if you'd like to. The biblical view of women in ministry is called complementarianism. And what that means basically is that we believe that men and women are created equal in God's eyes. We're, we're both made in the image of God. We're equal in salvation. 
we are equally important, equally valuable in God's eyes. But in marriage and in the church, women and men have different roles and women are blessed to have a different role than men. God has given us an amazing role in the home and in the church. And we shouldn't even want the role that God has given to men in the church and in the home. And so we serve a little bit differently than than men do. Egalitarianism is an unbiblical view that says that women and men, there's there's no difference between our roles. We would we would agree with the complementarians and egalitarians would agree that women and men are created equally in creation in God's eyes. We're both made in the image of God. We are saved equally as far as salvation goes. There's no difference in salvation between men and women. But egalitarians would say that basically anything boys can do, girls can do. And some of them would say girls can do better. You know? <laughs> but anyway, uh, they believe that women can be pastors and teach men in the church and that women don't have to submit to their husbands in the home and, and things of that nature. So it's very important that we as women and men as well understand what the role of women is to be in the church and in the home. And in the home, women are to submit to their husbands and husbands are to lay down their lives by serving their wives and leading in a godly and biblical way, um, being responsible for the spiritual growth of their families and making godly decisions and things of that nature. In the church, women are to do everything except preach to uh, mixed groups of men and women. They're not to teach the Bible to mixed groups of men and women or to men by themselves either. And they're not to hold authority over men in the gathered body of believers. So we can do everything except just that one little tiny thing. And, uh, and men are to be standing up and moving forward and leading the church, teaching, preaching, and, you know, protecting the church. And so those are some of the differences between the different roles of men and women. And I think a lot of times complementarians are looked at as the sort of the party poopers of women's ministry, because a lot of times what's presented is what women are not allowed to do instead of encouraging women to do all the other biblical things that they are to do under, you know, under the auspices of scripture. So that's something that's important to understand is, is what the Bible says about that. So you're saying complementarianism is the biblical view. I personally would agree. Chris would agree with you on that and uh-huh. all the co-hosts here would as well. But my question is, why is that the biblical view? Maybe you want to provide some biblical references to that and expand upon it just a little bit. Sure. Let me start with the the verse that egalitarians base their view on and their their verse. I haven't really heard any other verses besides this one, except some other verses they occasionally take out of context. But the main verse that they use is Galatians 3.28. And that's the one that says uh, in Christ, there's no male or female, no Uh slave or free, no, no Jew or Gentile and all that, which if you just read the entirety of Galatians 3, you can see it is not talking about men and women's roles in the church. It's mm-hmm. talking about salvation. Right. So that so um, complementarians would take that verse in context and, and understand that that is not talking about men and women's roles. Another verse on the complementarian side that is that complementarianism is sort of based on is... Um, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. And 
1 Timothy 2.12 is the verse that says, I do not allow a woman to, to teach or to hold authority over a man. And I think it's pretty clear, you know, it says we're not to teach, we're not to hold authority over men. And, and it's a pastoral epistle, so this is instructions for the church, so that, you know, we're to understand that this is within the context of the church. This is not to, to say that women can't teach algebra at the college level or anything like that. It's, you know, teaching the Bible in church and preaching. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, we see all over the rest of the Bible the pattern of male headship in, in the church and in the family. For example, we don't see any women who are major and minor prophets. We don't see any women leading in the temple. We don't see any women disciples. We don't see any women pastors in the New Testament. It's just all throughout Scripture, this general broad pattern of male headship in the home and in the church. So Right, yeah, and, and that would include that in terms of in the family is Ephesians 5 and 6 uh, as one key that speaks directly to that in the New Testament. And then right. I didn't grow up in SBC, so I don't know how all the how the, all these churches are, but or the variety of churches that might be in the SBC, although that's probably changing now. But I grew up in essentially where it was complementarian in the home, but then in the church egalitarian. So, but then you have, well, how, <laughs> you run into, and the thing my wife always brings up was like, well, how could, my wife is like, how could I be your, your pastor? <laughs> like, how does that make, right. like, how does that logically make sense given the context of what Paul says in Ephesians, if, right. or, you know, or anywhere else, like that, those kind of things just don't seem to make sense if you kind of practically think well, them through. Yeah, it's definitely not consistent in their ideology there. So earlier you made the statement that a, a woman in the church is not permitted to or should not teach or preach to a mixed body of believers with men and women. So what age group do you cut that off? So do you would you have an issue or would a complementarian view have an issue with a lady teaching seniors in high school or what, what, what do you think that would land on that? Okay, yeah, I've written about this before, yeah. so this is no sweat. I know her answer um, to this. There's not, <laughs> <laughs> there's, I would say there's not a hard and fast rule about that in Scripture, and we want to be careful that we don't make mm -hmm. laws where Scripture doesn't make a law. But my recommendation to women who are asking about teaching is, first of all, they should not be serving as a youth pastor because the role of pastor is reserved for men. And, um, and can, I'm sorry to interrupt, but while we are at it, just in case we have any new listeners, whenever we say the role of a pastor is reserved for men, we don't mean all men. We the, the scripture right. scripture definitely qualifies what an elder or a pastor should be, and it is not just a blanket statement of all men anywhere. Yeah. even all Christian men. So just to clarify, that's what that's we mean. Exactly biblically yeah. qualified pastors or biblically qualified men who are called to be pastors. Exactly. That's, that's what I should have said. That's a great <laughs> point. Yeah. That the role of pastor is reserved for biblically qualified men. And that's really important because not all men are qualified to be pastors. But anyway, I would, I would definitely tell her that she should not be serving as a youth pastor. I would also discourage women from, I, I usually tell women to make the break from teaching boys right around the time they go into middle school, around 12 or 13. 
And the reason that I recommend that is because we see a little bit of, of wisdom there in scripture. Like I said, there's certainly no law about it. But for example, we see Jesus going into the temple when he's 12 and he's teaching. And, the, you know, this is around the time when boys were considered to becoming to be becoming men in the Bible. And certainly, you know, we have a little bit of a different idea about that age now. But I, I think that's that's a good cutoff point, because that's also about the age where they're moving. If, if you're in a church like a lot of Southern Baptist churches that I've been in, they're moving out of the children's department and into the youth department. And that's just a good, convenient place to make a break. But in addition to that, it's not just about what women should or shouldn't do. It's about what boys need. Mm -hmm. You know, I told you I have five boys and one girl. So I'm really, I really consider myself a boy mom. I love my girl, but we, you know, I'm just boy, boy, boy all the time. <laughs> and so boys at that age, especially today with the dearth of male leadership that we have with men continuing to act like adolescents well into their twenties and thirties, um, with lack of male role models, with fatherlessness and things of this nature, boys that age need godly men to step up and show them what it means to be a godly man. That's what I want for my boys. My boys are a little bit older than that right now. They're um, my youngest one is my youngest ones are 16 and 17. Um, and so that's what I want for them is to see godly men in addition to their daddy to step up and lead. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's not so much about what women should or shouldn't do, but about what men or boys need. So that would be my recommendation. Yeah, I would agree. I think that though, like I did youth ministry for two years, my wife aided me in that, but specifically in teaching the girls and things of that nature. And now she was present and doing things, but definitely not a, a youth minister or youth pastor. And that's the other thing too. I think so many churches try to interchange that and say they're youth ministers and not youth pastors. Uh, right. Essentially it's the same thing. It's just right. <laughs> using a different terminology to get away from yes. away with it in, in a lot of different yes. ways. I've seen that a lot lately in, in churches, especially larger churches. They're they're changing the staff titles from pastor to something like coach or uh, <laughs> mentor or something like that so that they can stick a woman in that position mm -hmm. and feel like they're covered. You know, they're OK because she's not technically a pastor. Well, yeah. she is. They're just changing the name of it. <laughs> well, and I, I've seen it in worship ministry as well. Not, not necessarily to place women in there, but really to place unqualified people in that role. Yes. But anyway, that's a different conversation for a different day. <laughs> yeah. Maybe your husband would want to join us for. <laughs> oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. So I guess like you were saying earlier, you've written about it on your blog. So if anybody wants to look more into, into that, uh, she has plenty of resources there. What are the roles, biblically defined roles for women in, inside of the church? Well, basically as long as you're not, teaching men or preaching to men. That's, that's an issue these days. Some people are saying that, you know, as long as a woman isn't officially a pastor of a church, she can do anything she wants, like guest preach on a Sunday morning. So that's an issue. So as long as she's not preaching to men, teaching men, exercising authority over men in, in the church, then she's good to go. I mean, there, there are thousands of things that women can do. Mm -hmm. You can be you can work in the sound booth and you can work in the nursery and you can, um, I don't know, be on the hospitality committee and you can wax the floors and you can, <laughs> you know, um, anything basically it's, it's 
I think the reason a lot of times that we focus on what women can't do instead of what women can do is because there's just these two or three things that women can't do and they can do these thousands of things. So mm -hmm. it's a lot shorter to say you can do anything, but right. uh, this, that, and the other, but it's really important that um, women who are able to teach have the skill of being able to teach who are theologically knowledgeable, who know their Bibles, who know how to, to study their Bibles and to convey what's in the Bible well to other people. Mm -hmm. We really need women like that to step up and teach other women. I mean, a lot of women are so concerned with whether or not they can teach men and they, you know, ask me about things like that. And I just say, I've got my hands so full teaching women. I don't have time to teach men. I mean, the ship is going down, it feels like a lot of times. And we need women who can teach to reach in there and snatch those women who are perishing from the flames and, and teach them well and help them to learn how to study the Bible and just be there to disciple them and, and help them. And we also need that for, for women to be teaching children as well, because there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things going on in children's ministry these days, too. Mm -hmm. And we need some doctrinally sound women to get in there and challenge our children. I mean, kids are smarter than a lot of us think they're <laughs> they're able to learn a lot of good stuff. Yeah. And to get in there and teach those children and expect something out of them and and help them to learn their Bibles and to become good godly men and women later in life. I mean, Timothy had a godly mother and grandmother that were teaching him the scriptures, even mm -hmm. from a very young age. And, you know, Charles Spurgeon had a mother and yeah. <laughs> all of these, these great pastors and, and everybody, they had godly mothers and grandmothers and teachers in Sunday school and things like that. And it's, you know, being the woman behind the man is no small thing. That is a great honor that God can use us for. So we really need women in those positions. I mean, I feel like the majority of the churches that I've been in, the majority of the work that ever actually got done within those churches <laughs> was by women. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. that, you know, like they might have a, a, a pastor uh, that's a male, but, you know, Almost everything else that was done in the church was facilitated by women, like you said, from the nursery to the children's church to um, hospitality to, you know, not groundskeeping, but like, you know, I guess falling under hospitality of like who was cleaning up the place and like making sure it was welcoming and who was making the coffee and who was, you know, doing this, that and the other. Um, and then there were, you know, depending on where we were, everybody was on rotations for the things they were doing. So so it's a lot right. or you and i had kind of chatted before we don't have to go super in depth into this but the role of deacons whereas a lot of specifically in the in southern baptist churches a lot of southern baptist churches the role of deacon is not a biblical role of deacon so if you view deacons in the biblical way i actually believe that women can fulfill that role as defined in scripture now as we said a lot of churches don't define deacons the way that the Bible does for whatever reason. Um, and you have a lot of churches that are run by deacons acting as elders who have a pastor who's just there to preach on Sunday mornings and he's, you know, whatever that means. I guess we kind of saw eye to eye similar to those things as a deacon being a servant right. of the church, of the body, 
and not authoritative pastoral role. Right. Actually, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, and I, I agree with you. With deacon diakonos just means servant, mm-hmm. and it doesn't, you know, like you said, it doesn't mean ruling elder or anything like that. It's someone who's to, supposed to, if you read about the first deacons in Acts, they were supposed to be serving tables and right. and you know helping the widows and things like that. And what I've told women is that, you know, most godly women, they're already doing stuff like that. They're not worried about whether they need to be ordained or officially Mm -hmm. called a deacon or whatever. But there is certainly a place for that in a church with a biblical view of deaconing or whatever the word would be. (laughs) The deacon ministry. Um, (laughs) Yes, the deacon ministry. Um, There's certainly a place for that. I mean, I've been in churches before where, um, you know, take when you're ministering to women, for example, Uh, maybe a woman who has come out of a a battered, uh, an abusive marriage. And uh, and she comes into the church looking for help and a deacon is assigned to her. Well, you know, that deacon might be out helping look for for appropriate housing for her and looking for helping her to find a job and things like that while his wife is sitting with her and letting her cry on her shoulder mm-hmm. and doing the actual one-on-one ministry. Or you could have, you know, a formal or informal group of women who are sort of a subset of your deacon board. And as the requests or the needs or whatever come into the deacon board, if there are needs like the battered woman that come into the deacon board, they can disperse those needs to the women that are more equipped to handle or to minister to a woman than Mm -hmm. a man might be. And so there's certainly a place for, if you want to call them deaconesses, in a church, a biblically doctrinally sound church that understands the um, the role that biblically understands the role of deacons. So that can be worked out. May not want to call them deaconesses, you know, just for whatever reason. But yeah, women should be serving in all of those capacities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, because I, I would line up with you in a similar uh, capacity on that. But I would say that in a majority of Southern Baptist churches, because uh, there is a deacon body that's operating as elders, essentially, meaning that they are showing authority over the church as a whole rather than simply serving the church in various ways, then you can't have an official deaconess in the church because there is authority shown in that position. But I would agree with you, Michelle, that in my experience, you do see most of the time it's the women of these deacons that are really filling that role in the church. Um, And I know this may seem like a small detail, but one of the big ones I remember growing up was there was a specific deacon that would be over preparing the baptistry. And his wife was the one that aided in with the women after they were baptized and things of the nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see other right. examples of it as well in the church, but yeah, like right, like right now at our, our church is ministering to um, a woman and her children who uh, have for reasons that I won't say have been separated from the father slash husband. Um, and, our women have played a huge role in ministering to her in a way that just wouldn't be appropriate for a man to, um, I mean, in for her safety, you know, and the safety of the men and, you know, for just that whole mess that could just, whatever could happen. But, um, you know, that's the role. And of course, sometimes husbands are there, but it's always with their wives and right. the women have really stepped up to reach out to her and minister to her and her children. Right. Um, just a point I want to make real quick is we're we're talking about this 
is as we're talking about these ideas as complementarianism, the listeners, what you should notice is we're not speaking of men being the strict leaders that don't allow women to do anything. And I hate to put it this way, just but to be quiet and sit in the pew, we're not saying that that's the role of the women. Now, if you listen to many egalitarians, that's what they would almost paint this picture as, mm-hmm. um, that it's that women can't do anything in the church. They, they can't serve in any capacity or just because, as Michelle's put, it's only two or three different things in the church they can't do. They, they try to twist this to say that they can't do anything in the church. But in reality, that's not the case. We're not saying women aren't important because we've all said it and we all agree, as most listeners out there would agree as well, that women are crucial for the church. This yeah. is crucial in the operation of the church. And I, I can think of every Sunday school teacher I had until I got into youth group was by a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's my personal experience now. Um, and I, most people out there would probably have very similar experience in that. So. Yeah. So I think that would bring us to our kind of the next question. And our last thing we'd like to talk about is that how can the church facilitate or or encourage women in ministry or the biblical roles of women in ministry? How can we go about as as pastors or just husbands or whatever it may be as a local body? How can we encourage this biblical ministry of women? Well, the very first thing that you need to do at as a pastor, for example, and a husband too, I guess, is to have a biblical understanding of your role as a biblical man, Mm -hmm. as a godly man, and then also to have a good understanding of what God's role for women is. So that would be the foundational thing that I would say first is that you you need to have a good understanding from rightly handled scripture of what those roles are. And then I would also say pastors really need to teach on this. I don't know, maybe if it's just the pastors that I listen to on, you know, online or, uh, you know, other pastors and churches that I've been to, but I don't hear a whole lot of pastors just teaching on this. And I, I understand why, because it's a, it's a very difficult topic to teach on a lot of times Mm -hmm. for men, because uh, there are a lot of those egalitarian women that you were just talking about there, James, who will, who will just make their lives miserable for saying anything that, you know, women can't do. And so they take, unfortunately, a lot of fire for, for that kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, to be, well, I say to be fair, you know, many, many men have (laughs) abused their roles in many instances so it, it's you know not without some merit to say that uh sinful men yeah. have sinned against women um and you definitely have people that would claim to be complementarians that are on that extreme that don't allow women to do anything that right like i, I know people that are a part of a church that if they're not wearing a skirt that's you know two inches above their ankle then the women's in sin i mean uh, and they don't say anything in the church or nothing you know um and, and so there is an extreme to it. I mean, obviously that is the case. Mm-hmm. There is, but they're, they're generally in the minority. Yeah. Um, and generally not in the SBC world either. Normally it's a... That's correct. I mean, you don't, you, you don't see that in doctrinally sound churches at all because, you know, those, those people t- have a biblical view of the roles of men and women. But, but you're right. There, there are some, some extreme cases where, you know, people are just unfortunately using the word complementarian when that's not really what they are. They're just abusive or they're just jerks or they're just <laughs> yeah. male focused pigs or whatever. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's important to have that biblical understanding of exactly what the roles of men and women are. And then I would I would say that pastors need to encourage women to um, to explore all the opportunities of service available to them. Don't just say, oh, we have we have slots for nursery workers and and that's all that you offer to women. Mm -hmm. um, there's you know, there's a great need right now for for pastors to have someone to do discernment work for them so that they don't get up in the in the pulpit and quote someone by name that they thought was a doctrinally sound teacher that turns out to be a heretic or something like that. There's worship music that needs to be vetted. There are Bible study books and things like this that need to be vetted. And if you've got a doctrinally sound discerning woman in your church, put her to work on that. You know, there's things like that that, that women can do. And, there, and I think another thing that we need to teach in the church and, and pastors really need to take the lead on this is that in the church in general, there is such a desire from men and women to get glory for ourselves and to serve, you know, to be the soloist in the musical that everybody claps for, to be the person on, on the stage that's teaching or to, you know, to be in the spotlight. And that is not what Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us to be servants. I mean, you look at him washing the disciples' feet. That's what he has called us to be. And we've got to change the desire for the spotlight in our churches to the desire to be that one washing the feet, to be the lowliest servant, to be the person who delights in picking up the chairs after the fellowship or, or scrubbing the floors or whatever. Because that's the economy that God has taught us in scripture is that we are to be servants, not to be clamoring for the spotlight. So that's another way that that pastors can foster a healthier desire among women to serve a more and, and men too, and more a more biblical desire to serve that way, because a lot of things that need to be done in the church, they're not glamorous. Um, people are going to complain about the way you did it. You know, you're not going to get credit. And but that's what Jesus has called us to is to be servants. So that's another way. And then just to encourage women to just to try different roles of service and to find out what God has gifted them to do. I'm not really big on these uh, spiritual gifts surveys and, and quizzes and things like that. Um, what I tell women to do is go to your pastor, find out where there's a place of service av available pick the one that seems the, to be the best fit for you and dive in and do it. And that way you're serving your church and you're also learning whether that's an area God has gifted you in or not. Mm -hmm. And if it isn't, then maybe, you know, when you're finished with that service, you go on to a different type of service. So, um, so that's another way that, that husbands and pastors can encourage women to, to be servants in, in their church. So, um, that's I think that's that's a good start. That's probably biting off a lot more than most churches can chew uh, at the beginning. But th that's a good start. And uh, and, you know, you can go on from there. So, well, briefly, since Chris and I uh, really can't answer this question, we want you to. Okay. How can women help disciple each other? Now, obviously, I can speak to how men can disciple men. But in your experience, what are some practical ways that you as a woman can help disciple another lady in the church? Well, there are, there are two, um, two ways that we think about discipleship. We think about one-on-one -on -one discipleship, and then we think about 
group discipleship. And, and those are both valid and both necessary. And so obviously in group discipleship, women can be teaching other women and, and teaching them good hermeneutics, how to study the Bible for themselves, uh, what scripture says, you know, on various topics, leading them expositionally through different books of the Bible and things of this nature. And then there's the one-on-one -on -one discipleship. And one of the things that um, I think is important is that older women who have had the experience of being wives and mothers or being single or being, you know, single and a career woman or, or whatever, that they disciple one-on-one -on -one younger women. I've really been surprised to see this, but we've had, we have a lot of younger women who don't have mothers who have discipled them and have spent, I guess, spent time with them, sort of nurturing them and helping them to grow. And so a lot of times, or maybe their mother, their own mother isn't saved, or they just got saved and now they're in the, the woman just got saved and now she's just coming into the church and she doesn't know any older Christian women mm -hmm. to help her. And so it's important to, um, to come, for older women to come alongside those younger women, just like Titus 2, 3 through 5 says, and teach them how to be godly women, how to study their Bibles, how to make godly decisions, how to submit to their husbands and be good mothers to their children or to be, if they work, a godly witness at work and things of this nature. And sometimes we have a little trouble putting that sort of thing together, making that connection. Some churches do mentoring programs where they match up an older woman with a younger woman. Those can be excellent, or it can just be an organic relationship that develops because you of someone you know at church, you know, you meet a younger woman, you go out for coffee, things, things like that. Mm -hmm. But that's extremely important for the older women. Just, just like scripture says, it always works out best when you do what scripture says. <laughs> To, to for the older women to come alongside those younger women and help them out mm -hmm. so yeah well like one thing i've told my younger people well i say my younger people my 20 something year olds um is like <laughs> um it, it i know you're at a point and you're at an age where maybe you start to realize you didn't have that spiritual mentorship or discipleship that you wish you would have had you know you think maybe oh in my youth why didn't somebody tell me this or why didn't somebody tell me this or why is there no one doing this for me now? Those things that you feel that somebody has, you know, maybe shortcomings people have come and you're like, Oh, like no one did this for me. You know what? There's probably somebody in your church right now who is younger than you who feels that way. So if you feel that way, then somebody else feels that way. And, or on the, you know, the positive side, if someone did come alongside you and do these things for you, well, guess what? There's somebody else in your church who needs that. And this is how Christianity has propagated and been, you know, and how healthy Christians have grown for 2000 years. And we all have a line. We, I mean, we can't all literally trace ourselves down to the disciples, but I mean, if, if we could, you know, pull out of history and look down the line, there is, a line from one person to the next all the way down to the first century and until christ comes it's going to look that way and that's what we need to be doing now and it might feel awkward at first you might not have any idea what you're doing um but 
it's better to be doing it and like you said you might have to figure it out on your way um but it's better to be doing it than not doing it exactly okay. and you know it's funny that i was just i've just been teaching first and second timothy on on the blog of, of first and second timothy bible study and there's this concept of in first and second timothy of entrusting to someone else what has been entrusted to you entrusting the gospel to someone else paul entrusts uh, the rulership of the church and how to run the church to Timothy. And, and that's what we need to be doing. We need to be taking what has been entrusted to us mm -hmm. and entrust it to the next person down the line. So that is, that's absolutely correct and biblical for you to say that. That's wonderful. Well, I hate to cut the conversation short, but we're coming to an end of our time here on the podcast. Before we jump into the plugs of the week, I want to take a quick break to listen to one of the other podcasts that is a part of the Christian podcast community. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity. And they provide speakers and seminars that come to your church with expertise in theology, hermeneutics, world religions, creation science, evangelism, presuppositional apologetics, church history, and expertise in sexual abuse in the church. For details on their seminars and to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Striving to make today an eternity day for the glory of God. Welcome back. And as we jump into the plugs of the week, Chris, do you have anything for us? This book is called 50 Crucial Questions, which is an overview of uh, the central concerns about manhood and womanhood. And it is uh, by John Piper and Wayne Grudem. But yeah, that book is just, it's like a 98 page PDF that you can actually download for free on Desiring God. Okay, awesome. Well, the one I want to recommend, and it's not one that I have read personally, unfortunately, but it's one that my wife has read, and uh, I trust her to most extent to it. Uh, it's one called Missional Motherhood by Gloria Furman. Not only does she have the um, actual book she wrote, but there's actually a Bible study that you can walk through for that. Now, I'm going to ask Michelle in a minute her opinion on Bible studies for women, and possibly anyway, because I've heard that before, and I'm so, yeah, my plug of the week is Missional Motherhood by Gloria Furman. Michelle, you got any for us? Just the Bible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what you were talking about, women's Bible studies earlier. A lot of women write to me. That's the number one question I get asked. Well, maybe the one or two question I get asked is, can you recommend a good women's Bible study? And there are some good ones out there. I'm sure they are few and far between, but what I like to recommend that women do is to study straight from God's word and, and learn how to handle God's word correctly for themselves by studying expositionally through the Bible. And so that would, that would not only be my plug, but also my encouragement to women out there is to get into God's word. You know, reading good books from time to time is great, but don't depend solely on somebody else's Bible study book for your Bible study time. Get in there and dig through God's words with your own hands and, and discover how wonderful it can be and how rewarding it can be to discover his truths for yourself. On that note, do you have any recommendations of any maybe resources that a teacher could use to help prepare them to walk through scripture expositionally? rather than just opening it up and being unprepared? Yes. Well, first thing I would recommend is go to your pastor and see if there's any sort of training course or videos or anything like that that your pastor would recommend. And then um, not to sound like I'm plugging myself, but this is, this is an issue that I seen so I've created a resource for it uh, women who don't know how to study the Bible for themselves or maybe have never taught straight from the Bible 
you know, to a class. The Bible studies that I write, I have a, a section on Bible studies on my blog. And um, like I said a few minutes ago, we're, we're finishing up First and Second Timothy right now on the blog. But my Bible studies are designed to teach women how to study the Bible for themselves or how to teach the Bible what they should be looking for in the text, how to handle the text correctly, questions they should be asking of the text, how to think um, biblically about the text so that they can learn how to study the Bible for themselves so they don't have to depend on other people's materials, even mine, when they can just pick up their Bibles and study and teach the Bible straight from Scripture. Now, is there anything about that that would make it completely for women or is that something that men could go to your side and pour that resource as well and I don't I try to discourage men from participating in the in the Bible study online but I don't think and when I say participating in the Bible study online I don't mean that this is a group thing that we all do together it's just there you know the lesson is there on the blog every week but that again that's one of those things that is is not so much it's wrong for men to use this study but they could benefit a lot from studying under a godly man because they're men. And so that's one of the reasons I discourage men from using the studies for their own personal Bible study time. However, the, the Bible studies are formatted with, uh, you know, I present the scripture and then what I do is I just ask a bunch of questions to show, you know, how to study that passage. And so I, you know, I think that would be fine for a man who's a Sunday school teacher or maybe even a pastor to maybe look over some of those questions and, and, and think to himself, oh, maybe this is a good point that I want to bring out this particular way. Or maybe this would be a good question to ask my class, you know, as I'm teaching them this passage mm -hmm. of scripture. So for um, for background materials, yeah. I don't see why not, you know, just a little bit of uh, sort of cliff notes for yeah. a sermon or a Sunday school lesson. Well, I was thinking more in the context of, let's say, I started a Sunday school class for men and women that would be on the same thing you're going through. If there was anything in particular that would be more lean towards women that might benefit a man teaching a mixed group of any sort. Uh, to give more insight into women, you mean? That kind yeah. of thing? Yes. Yeah, it possibly so, because I'm a woman and I write for women. Yeah. Uh, and my writing is aimed at women. So that might give a man, uh, you know, some some ideas, some thoughts like he'd never, maybe he'd never thought of it that way before, you know, mm -hmm. as, as it relates to women. So that, yeah, that could be helpful, I think. Yeah. Well, the discussional questions, because obviously the scripture still means the same thing, regardless if you're a male or right. female and all of that. Absolutely. Um, that, that did bring me up to one more resource I want to recommend. And then Jesus Calling. Jesus Calling. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. We might that have to have and, talk uh, about that. Look at girl, wash your face or something like that. Uh, no, girl, wash your hands of that. No, one thing I do want to recommend just briefly, and now this is going to be a lot more detailed than uh, what Michelle was recommending earlier to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. It almost sounds like an intro to hermeneutics that what you've outlined for ladies to kind of prepare to walk through scripture themselves to teach it and, you know, things of that nature. In light of that, there's one, it's more of a scholarly book. It's called Grasping God's Word. And I've recommended this resource many times on this podcast because for me, I was a youth pastor. I went into Bible college and this was the first class I took after doing youth ministry for a year and realized I didn't know how to read the Bible myself, which is terrible terrible thing but thank god in his providence that he provided this class that provided this book for me and so everything i learned in that class because i did it online i learned by reading that book and 
I would recommend that to anybody out there. If you're a male or female listening and you just want to understand how to read God's word better to teach it or just to understand it yourself. It's a great book. Now, like I said, it's not no 100 page book. It's an academic book. So it's going to take a little bit of time, but it's going to teach you the different genres and different things of that nature as well. So, well, before we get off of here, Michelle, do you uh, want to take the opportunity to just tell us where we can find your site and all of that information? Absolutely. My blog is michellelesley.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-L-E-S-L-E-Y.com. And uh, you can find all the, the resources that we've talked about tonight on on the blog and it's all free and it's all there anytime anybody needs it. Well, Michelle, thank you again for being on here. I I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as Chris and I have. And this is an important conversation to have in our churches today. We hope that the listeners have enjoyed it. And this has been an episode of the Everyday Ministry Podcast, a podcast where everyday ministers get together to discuss ministry. We'd like to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Everyday Ministry Podcast, where we seek to provide quality content first through our full-length episodes that release every first and third Monday of the month, and second, through the Minister's Minute. These are short 10 to 15 minute episodes that release every second and fourth Monday of the month, in which one of our co-hosts will seek to answer a specific question related to everyday ministry. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe and rate the podcast through the podcast catcher of your choice. We can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and YouTube. Today we pray peace and grace for you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And happy ministry. Come.